Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. The whole purpose is to create awareness around child sexual abuse and trafficking. I know this is a very difficult subject to listen to, but I believe with all my heart and my own life experiences that the ending of child sexual abuse should not depend solely on the courage of a child. It should come from us as adults choosing to be uncomfortable, but choosing to be aware so that we can identify, prevent, and report abuse from happening. Please help me get this message out. Share this podcast with someone that you know. Follow the podcast in the top right-hand corner of where you're watching it. Screenshot it and share it. Um, even leaving a review and leaving a rating can help me increase the visibility of this very important content. Thank you. Today, we're going to start with an overview of the definition of what is child sexual abuse. How common does it occur? When is it most likely to occur? Which children are most at risk? How is this happening? And we're not aware of it. And I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and become educated and become aware on this topic. As I've often said, the end to child sexual abuse should not depend solely on the courage of a child to come forward. It begins with us as adults being willing to be uncomfortable, to learn, to be more informed, and to be more aware of how we can prevent the situations from occurring and how we can report it when we are informed and aware of it. So what is child sexual abuse? Well, the definition that's most commonly used is that child sexual abuse is an act that involves a child defined by both legal age under 18 years, as well as defined by developmental capacity. It's where the child is unable to give true consent or the ability exists, but consent not given. True consent means that, that someone is, is full, free, voluntary, and uncoerced participation. It's an act where contact or non-contact is considered sexual when it is done for the purpose of sexual gratification, either immediate or deferred. And it's an act where there is a power differential between the victim in a position of inequality in which their vulnerability is exploited. So what's the magnitude of the problem? Well, it is far more prevalent than what we realize. Um, one of the reasons that it's difficult to assess how prevalent it is because it so often goes unreported. But based on what is reported, it is thought, it, we know that one in 10 children are sexually abused nationally, one in 10. How often do children disclose abuse? Well, this is going to shock you, but the average age for disclosing child sexual abuse is 52 years old. That's the average age of someone coming forward to disclose that they have been sexually abused. 86% of child sexual abuse goes unreported altogether. 
And uh, even when disclosures occur, a very small amount of them, only 16% of them are formally disclosed directly to authorities. The majority of disclosures are made initially to their peers or to parents or to trusted adults. In an analysis of the key themes that reoccur that help children disclose, 75% occurs with someone that they feel they can trust. 55% occurs when they realize that what's happening is not normal. Another 55% is when they just have reached an inability to handle the emotional distress. Another 55% is when they want for some reason for something to be done about it, like enough is enough of it. 55% um, is expecting to be believed and 45% is simply being asked. 45% of the time, a child will disclose if simply asked, especially with a trusting adult. So 90% of the time, you know, who, who are the abusers? Who are the perpetrators? 90% of the time, it's a known perpetrator. The perpetrator is a known person to the family and to the child. 60% of the time, that known person is an acquaintance, like a teacher or a pastor or a neighbor or a coach. 30% of the time, it's immediate family. And 10% of the time, it's a stranger. So 90% of the time, it is someone that you and your child do know. And so was the case for us as well. More than 70% of children who are sexually abused are actually abused by a peer by another child or by, um, by someone that is a little bit slightly older than them. Does this happen online? Well, sure. Exploitation of children for sexual abuse absolutely happens online, but it also happens in homes and at schools. 29 million reports of suspected child sexual exploitation are received by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. That is over 564,000 reports a week, over 564,000 reports a week, nearly a million, half a million reports a week. So approximately one in five young people experience unwanted online exposure to sexual, sexually explicit material. One in nine experience online sexual exploitation. One in four experience online sexual grooming via long, intimate conversations in online chat rooms. Approximately two in five young people who engage in an intimate online relationship actually meet the adult stranger in person, two out of five. And we're going to have a whole section about online child sexual abuse and exploitation later. We're also going to have a section on grooming and manipulation, but let's just touch on it here. Grooming and manipulation is a deliberate process by which offenders gradually groom or manipulate a child by setting up opportunities for abuse through gradual boundary violations, just slow and gradual, and by gaining the trust of the child and closest to them before the sexual abuse occurs. Identifying grooming can be very difficult, but there are some red flag behaviors that are considered manipulative behaviors frequently used by abusers. And again, we're going to have a whole section on grooming coming up sometime soon. 
Are abusers always men? Um, not always. Um, there is a very small percentage of abusers that are women, but women are four times more likely to sexually abuse their own children. If it is a woman that is going to abuse a child sexually, it is four times more likely that it would be their own child, which is really um, sad, but also, um, you know, just not what you would expect at all. Um so we'll dig into a little bit of that more. I think the most important thing that should be awakening for you is that 70% of the time, child sexual abuse is happening from a peer, from another child, or from an older child, often from adolescence. You know, we're really afraid about adults, or we might be very concerned about stranger danger, but we're not paying attention to who our children are hanging out with and spending time with as closely. So it is more common for abusers to take advantage of opportunities in their everyday life. In what circumstances does child sexual abuse occur? Um, so understanding the spaces where our children are most vulnerable can help us minimize opportunities to prevent child sexual abuse. When folks hear about our story of our daughter being sexually abused and trafficked, one of the immediate responses I get from parents is, oh, um, I'm really sorry that happened to you. It's the reason why I'm so careful about who my child spends the night with. Well, newsflash, we didn't let our child spend the night with anybody. Our child had anxiety. She wasn't ever interested in an overnight stay with anybody, ever. That is not where her abuse ever happened. It was not on an overnight stay. So please listen up. Here's the most common times when um, child sexual abuse happens. Most commonly between 3 p.m. and 9 p.m. after school. That's when things happened with our daughter as well. It's often inside your own home, especially when it's coming from a peer of a child. It's often two out of three times it happens with another adult in a room nearby, like in the home, in a room nearby with you. Um, and again, it's especially that is true when it is happening with, um, with uh, an adolescent or a peer. So what are some increases for a child's risk for sexual abuse? While no child is immune from abuse, there are several risk factors that have been identified which heighten the child's risk for abuse. It's important to note that while the following factors may increase the risk of abuse, it does not mean that the child is going to be abused. It just means that there, there, could, there should be protective factors to mediate the following risk factors. Um, so these are some factors helpful to understand. One is prior victimization of a child or their family members. Um, that puts a child more at risk. Um, parental problems such as partner violence, relationship issues, substance abuse, mental or physical health struggles, low levels of education can also pose a risk for child sexual abuse. A non-nuclear family structure and problems within the family can make a child more susceptible to abuse. Um, children um, with mental or physical health conditions, uh, uh, parenting problems, low quality of a parent-child relationship can make a child much more vulnerable. Um, children that engage in substance or drug abuse, um, children that are engaging in violent behaviors, children with low social skills, children with frequent Internet access, again, can be sucked into a conversation, a chat, and a relationship developing online. 
So what are some of the preventative factors or the protective factors that can help mitigate against those kinds of risk? Well, protective factors are having a child that may be in those high risk categories, but feels comfortable discussing emotions and feelings with their family, um, has a supportive family even when going through difficult times enjoys participating in community activities and traditions, gives them a sense of stability and safety to be able to report if something happens. Feeling a sense of belonging at school. If a child is being bullied at school, they may also be more at a higher risk for abuse. Having supportive friends, supportive and encouraging friend circle. Having a safe adult that has a genuine interest in them and having access and time or you know contact with that safe adult. Feeling safe and protect, protected by an adult that is in their home that can mitigate against any of those kinds of risk. What are some of the consequences of child sexual abuse? Well, the most common and most immediate consequence is typically emotional and mental health issues. This can include depression and anxiety, suicidal ideation and attempts, disassociation, attention problems, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, children that have, have been abused um, often, uh, often are more likely to engage in illegal substance abuse. 39% um, of the time uh, experience um, academic uh, difficulties and struggles in school. And I can go through just a whole lot of statistics with you. I'll hit some of them just quickly. A child that's been sexually abused is 1.7 times more likely to engage in illegal substance abuse. They are 2.9 times more likely to experience anxiety and depression and PTSD. They are two times more likely to experience eating disorders and um, that includes one and a half times more likely to um, have to struggle with obesity. So I wanted to share what the definition of child sexual abuse is with you, because we're going to start with education, get educated, know what's going on. You know, in our story, which I will be sharing more and more about our story it was a gradual grooming process uh, of our daughter, so gradual that she really didn't know what was going on. You know, it started with some dirty jokes and then it started with some inappropriate topics of discussion and just pushing the limit, pushing the limit, pushing the limit to see at what time would she report it to her parents. And then it escalated further to inappropriate pictures, um, to inappropriate content being shown on TV, to inappropriate touching, to um, putting children together to create inappropriate um, content. Um, again, you know, producing child pornography um, with children staged for the, for, you know, for the production of it. Um, and again, not clearly really understanding what was going on and escalating their own feeling of accountability and responsibility for what they were in, which locked them into the secrecy. So again, one of my favorite tips for us as adults is I encourage children and my grandchildren to know surprises are a happy thing. Surprises create something happy. Secrets are not always safe. Secrets are not safe. If someone asks you to keep a surprise, then that's leading to something happy, like a surprise birthday party or a surprise someone's coming into town that you know about. Um, but 
a secret, when someone's asking you to keep a secret, it's really important that you come and talk with your mom or, or dad, um, with a trusted adult who can help you evaluate whether that secret is safe and how to handle it. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to you joining me on future episodes. Hey, just before we go, maybe I don't have to tell you that we are in the midst of a mental health epidemic. I've put together a website and a free presentation about how you can discover the three critical tips for parenting kids through anxiousness, sadness, or self-harm. The thing is, few parents recognize the signs before it's too late. Go to the show notes and get it downloaded right now. It could save the life of a child you love.